Hey everybody, you've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. We will be chatting about the week of Friday, May 5th, 2023. Right. Got it right. And we made it to May, finally, you know, like, it's bas- It's almost Star Wars Day. Almost Star Pretty Wars sure. Day. Make I, sure to get your time and a half if you have to work on May the 4th. Yeah, this might come out on May the 4th, I think. Maybe, sure yes, that. yeah. But it is not a Star Wars themed podcast, Sadly. in fact, furthest from it, actually. Because Lee's not here. Yeah, well, there's that. And we are joined today by a local filmmaker who's going to have his movie on our screen in a couple weeks, Scott Blurton. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. Welcome. And so your film is screening on May 24th? Yeah, it's, it's uh, 6.30 p.m., I believe. Yeah. It's on the Wednesday. So we're just doing this a little bit early because if folks listen in a timely manner, as some do, some people listen to this like a radio show, so they'll listen on the first day, so it makes sense that you're hearing about upcoming films. And I said to Scott, well, if we can arrange it, let's have you on a couple weeks early, just so people have a bit of a head start and know about the film. Yeah, even I got confused. I was like, it hasn't played yet, right? And then, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it's May 2-4? Like, that's an amazing date to get. Like, no one's going to forget that date that your movie's on. So what is the elevator pitch for your movie? Okay, well, it's about a long-term political canvasser who makes no money because political canvassing is a volunteer. People do it because they're hoping to get a job on the Hill or trying to get somewhere else advanced in the political sphere, especially in Ottawa. And he's basically impoverished. Nobody likes him. He tries to get a job on the Hill and nobody wants him because he's not in the in crowd, I guess, if you will. And he's about to go on welfare and he says, well, before I do that, let's just take a long shot run at city council. And it's really about his journey to find his self-respect. So we filmed it while we started. It's based on my experiences. I ran in the 2014 a municipal election campaign for uh, actually this ward right here. Oh, man. The one that Chaminard is in right now. Oh, that's insane. I didn't lose to him. I lost to Chernyshenko by about 8,000 votes, but it was a really valuable experience. There were so many funny things that happened during the actual like process of going through that. It's like, okay, I got to make a movie about this. <laughs> So you kind of won in a way, I feel like, because you got the movie. Yeah, and then $40,000 in debt. That's, well, you know, we don't bring that part up as much. <laughs> so when you were in politics as such, did you have ambitions to be a filmmaker or did that domino afterwards? Well, I think it's one of those things when you were a kid, you always think, oh, that'd be amazing to do. But I didn't grow up here. I grew up in a small town in British Columbia called Enderby. And it wasn't something people had an opportunity to do. It was just too far away, even though technically it's closer to LA. It's like we had a video store. We didn't have much to do aside from watching movies on VHS, the way it got intended. <laughs> and then when I came out here to Ottawa, it was just one of those things. It was just way out of the range of possibility. And then after we did the municipal campaign, I started noticing that the costs for making filmmaking were dropping dramatically. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mind-boggling. And it was strange because we did it on a Canon T3i Rebel, which is terrible. But we were able to film HD 1080p, which was not bad for a camera from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But even going through the whole process, I wrote in 2015, we did test shots in 2015, we did three years of principal photography because it's not a professional film. So 2016, 2017, 2018, and then we did three years of post-production. And over that six years, it was crazy, the technology, how quickly it changed and things became accessible. Things like color grading. Before it was 10 grand, all of a sudden you have it free on Final Cut Pro. Yeah, every year I get Closer and closer to old man. But <laughs> You're not there yet, I swear, Judge. Our new employee, Johnny, our candy bar kid, 
is from Canterbury High School, which just by happenstance, a number of our alum are from Canterbury High School because I think geeks and nerds and artsies come to this place, you know. So he just graduated. He's in his first year at Carleton now. So he graduated a year ago. And then you have to say the words of, oh, yeah, I graduated the last century. And <laughs> But when I was in, I think about when I was in communications class at Canterbury and it wasn't big shot because everything there was drama music i was there for visual arts but there was communications and at the time it was just barbarians compared to now because i'm sure now a non-art school a non-tech school probably still has leaps and bounds closer to professionalism to when i was in high school a couple decades ago and you could probably say 10 years ago or five years ago because now an average communications class you have the software and you have a bunch of laptops you film on your iphone and there's probably kids making really cool stop motion films and stuff whereas when we were 13 <laughs> that would be impossible like actually impossible so yeah so then you think of that from a more professional point of view it means big movies are cheaper little movies are cheaper and something really famous like clerks that cost thirty thousand dollars would nowadays cost five thousand dollars because he wouldn't shoot on film all this kind of different stuff but yeah, it's really great. It's the Bruce Campbell thing of, he said, the blessing nowadays is anybody can make a movie. The curse nowadays is anyone can make a movie. So you have so much more competition on those film festivals and all that kind of stuff. Which is supposed to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Ostensibly, <laughs> but it, it sucks when you're the hundredth fish in the ocean there, you know. And like, I was doing communications in 1999 or 98, whatever it was. And yeah. yeah, it was just big TVs, VCRs, tape into VCRs, you know, and you've got your one copy is on VHS tape, you know, which I still have. But yeah. it wasn't good. Your movie was... My much better than yeah. the stuff I made in high school. And not that I've seen it, but you know, from the trailer, I was like, oh man, this is actually, he's, he's done this. You're basically doing what I wanted to do when I moved to Ottawa and just kind of, I got into music a little bit more than film just because like I went to Carleton, and, but it was like film theory. You know, you were making films. I should have probably gone to college or something like that. I'd wanted to go to Toronto, but it was a lot harder to get into Ryerson at the time, you know. So, you know, I, I don't begrudge any of that, but I love when someone like you comes along and has a film like this and I, and like Lee as well, you know, like people like that, you know, who do these passion projects and it takes years and God, I can't imagine how many sleepless nights or, or whatever it takes, but it's so cool when I see a finished product like that. I'm just like, man, that's, I don't even know that half of how hard that was to do. So I have a lot of respect for you pulling that off. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was really weird because I think it would be if you went back and told me back in 2015, 2016, how much time I'd have to put into it. I'd probably say, uh, maybe that's not a good use of my time because <laughs> yeah. it gets crazy what you have to do or how long everything takes. And it kind of gives you insight into why they don't have one person do everything in a professional film because the more you do something, the better you get at it, the more efficient you get. I spent a year doing the music. I didn't know how to do music. I had to learn how to do music and music yeah. theory. I had to get all the gear. We created about an hour of music. About 40 minutes of it is pretty good. About 20 minutes is not so great. But you learn, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sound effects took about six months. And that's probably the one thing if uh, when I do the next film, that's the one thing I think I would hire up because it's really technical and it takes a lot of work and it's just a grind. Color grading, yeah, again, it's just, especially if you don't have a good workflow, which I still was trying to figure out, especially working with the cameras that I was working and the color science, I, I'm not exactly sure I'm getting the right term. It took a lot of work. Like you would have two shots back to back and you'd work for hours to try and get them look like they're shot on the same day, same time, all that stuff. So it was crazy to go through all those steps to see what it took and how much work goes in each step. It gave me a lot of respect for below the line crew mm -hmm. and what they have to do 
and what everyone's role is. And now I even understand the difference between sound editing and sound mixing. <laughs> yeah. And that's more than anything. It's independent film often doesn't care about sound. Mm-hmm. And that's something back in my film school days, they would just drill into your head. Your movie can look great, but if you don't work on the sound and there's people sitting in that theater or at home and they can't hear what the character's saying. And you see that sometimes and you're just like, oh, that's so key of the motion picture experience is just being able to hear. And I think that's the big flaw, which is nice that I think you said like you're, that was a big step of the process because sometimes it just gets shoved aside. And the number of times I've been on an independent film set and the poor sound person will say, oh, that wasn't good. And they'll be like, oh, no, it's fine. We're moving on. And I just kind of shake my head. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you're not going to hear things. Yeah, you know? Fix it in post over six years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were very lucky at the beginning. I think, I can't remember who gave me the recommendation. I think his name was Mark. But he recommended I talk to Charles Frost, who does a lot of theater work around here. Okay. And he came on board, and he had a lot of his own equipment. The only thing I think I had to provide was the boom pole and the mic. So I got a Sennheiser for about seven, $800. And he basically took care of the rest, and he was able to give recommendations. And yeah, that's a big part. Like You need one person. No matter what you're doing, you need a person to do the sound. Because we could do it, he'd go low, he could go high, he'd check the levels. Like He would notice things in the background, like a plane. You'd say, oh, we have to wait. And I'd be like, well, what's going on? It's like, there's a plane going over. I'm like, what? <laughs> then I, you, you hear it and you're like, oh, there it is. And you just, there's so much noise in the background that you just ignore. And then it's like with a proper sound engineer, it's like he's able to sort of pick it up and be like, okay, in this case. But having gone through the process, you see why they film on sound stages. Because no matter how careful he was, there was always going to be a lot of sound processing that I had to do. And I can't remember the name. I think it's not Resolve. It's the guys who do Ozone. There's a particular piece of software where that it's like it really just can clean up background audio really well and it was affordable and it's like it just everything that we filmed outside went through that and it just made it possible to put together the film but it just took a lot of time yeah i love sound stuff we've screened a couple documentaries over the years that really delved into it and i just love that you know here's the dinosaur from jurassic park and it's 43 different sounds and it's a goat and it's a frog and it's some wind and that's just for one sci-fi creature but it's the little things we went to see what was it we've seen a couple things at the nac where it's with a live orchestra we do it here but it's the simplicity of we do it with a silent film but when you're going to see Looney Tunes or Casablanca on the big screen, they have to go back and pull out the soundtrack, the sound effects track, the dialogue track, put back in the dialogue track, put back in the sound effects track. It's just so complicated yeah. because when you're watching a Looney Tune and you realize there's music through the whole thing, but you still want to hear Bugs Bunny, just the little things like dropping a pan on the ground or whatever. I lucked out at film school. We got to go to an actual soundstage and see them working on a, an episode of a TV show. And it was every fun thing, like different types of floorboards and different weird little tools and everything. And it's all that kind of fun stuff in sound that people forget about because it's a motion picture. But the sound stuff is so important. So, well, it's especially cool, like in retrospect, to think about stuff like even like Ren and Stimpy with the Raymond Scott stuff or like and Looney Tunes, like you said, like that's such a core part of your childhood memories. You know, like you don't really you think like you're like other oh, cartoons, you know, you think about them as cartoons, but you're also like the 
music and sound by the same token is just so important to that it just gets ingrained in your head the other two is like there's so many expectations nowadays when you watch a movie that it's gonna look a certain way it's gonna look hd it's gonna look widescreen or whatever you know the sound is gonna be good and just almost hilariously now because like when you watch a vhs or something like that of something you know a low budget thing it just we're so spoiled nowadays with the quality of stuff that comes out and you're i don't know i can imagine kids teenagers nowadays like just you know scoffing at some of that stuff that we would have eaten up back in the day so it is nice to have extra attention paid to stuff like the sound because yeah it is a big deal and you have so much more access to like the tools and sound libraries now like but when we started the process i wasn't sure where to get sound and there's like all these sound libraries that you can download sound we had fully there's fully where it's footsteps and things like that where i actually got a midi instrument software package that i plugged into a keyboard and then you could control just watch the screen and you just hit keys on a keyboard when they step and then you can move sliders and it would alter it slightly so that every step didn't sound the same Mm. it would be like variations which was really cool but it was actually one of the challenges we had was the simple stuff it's really hard to find sounds for like things like a door closing you would think that would be something that's pretty accessible but it's it was hard to find certain type of sounds that you thought would be easy the other one was background ambient noise where you would get things of a park and for some reason they think in a park a bird has to be chirping every two yeah. seconds. And like I don't need that. I just need something where a bird chirps every 20 seconds, not every two. But it was just crazy the stuff that was available that actually made it possible to put together the movie. Yeah. And so on the 24th, is this the world premiere? No, this would be the Canadian premiere. We okay. actually got into one film festival, the Maryland International Film Festival we got in last year. I couldn't go. It was in a place that was hard to get to. COVID was rampant around the time and I had a newborn. So I was terrified of going out, getting COVID and then infecting her when she's like four months old. So unfortunately I couldn't make it. But man, it's like, I knew it at the time. It's like, this might be the only film festival we get into. So I'm going to miss that experience. But so the, for me, we did a showing here last year where it was just for cast and crew but this would be the first time i get to see it the first public screening in canada so it'd be the canadian premiere cool and are you now that things i always want to knock on all the wood of like now that things are back to normal they're not back to normal (laughs) are you looking into other festivals or other small Uh, screen big screen whatever we've done the film festival circuit as far as like submissions we submit to about 37 but as you mentioned earlier it is really difficult Mm -hmm. you are competing with you're competing against movies that are four to five million dollars in budget. Our budget was 40k. Like it's really hard to compete on those terms. We do the best we can, and the subject matter is kind of niche. It's not a horror film. It's not a coming of age drama. It's a Canadian political canvasser in Ottawa. It's like it's very micro targeted. It has like I think there's an audience here. I think someone joked we could show it every four years during the municipal election. <laughs> like we get people to come to the Mayfair every four years, and I thought yeah that'd be great. But it's like again, it's it's one of those things that gives you perspective on why Hollywood makes movies the way they do and focus on like simple ideas, always about the family, broad audience, like what they focus in on something they can sell to millions of people. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, the closest comparison I could think of was that Dan for mayor uh, TV show where it was like <laughs> yeah. that regular guy running for mayor. Like, but beyond that, and and I mean, and that's very, I'm sure most people in the States have never heard of that. Like that was also pretty niche, but it also, I mean, Ottawa is such a good town for this type of story. And like, maybe I'm biased because I live here, but it looked interesting to me and, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I spotted black squirrel books in the trailer. Am I, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. We actually filmed in black squirrel books twice. We actually filmed one scene there 
and we didn't get all the shots we need the first time. So I had to come back a year later oh, man. and film it again. <laughs> Please still be there. You're and like... we actually had to do a composite shot because there's one where I'm in the doorway and the co-star Vilma, who I want to put out a personal shout out, who has spent years working on this for basically free. She was filmed a year prior and then they filmed me in the shot a year after. So the shot <laughs> wow. is comprised That's of two awesome. shots and it's composite around the doorway. Amazing. So it's like we were able to get it to work and it's just, it's crazy what you can do, especially with YouTube. They teach you how to composites or is it composite? Composition, I guess, how you put the shots together mm-hmm. to try and, and blend it so it seems seamless. Like it was a surprising amount of special effects shots. We probably have 50 to 80 uh, visual effects shots in the movie, but a lot of it's background replacement. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, somebody walked into your shot. Okay, well, I guess we just have to live with their shot one minute, they're out of the shot the next. And it's like, no, 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 you can get rid of them. It's very easy. Here's this nice lady on YouTube to explain how you do it. It's like, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking the amount of stuff. Like, even my dad at this point is YouTubing stuff like that. And he does not like being told how to do stuff, you know? So <laughs> yeah. it's like pretty shocking. Pretty much anything at that point. It's, it's nice, like, you do have stuff, I guess, like, you know, director's commentaries and stuff like that. But I mean, it's crazy just how big of a difference stuff like that has made. Like you said earlier, free at, yeah. at that point. Yeah, like, even for, I we started on Final Cut Pro for editing. And then that was pretty good, but they kept adding things to it, like the color grain suite. They added a bunch of stuff. But then by the end, we kind of hit the limits of what Final Cut Pro can do. DaVinci Resolve really kind of came into its own and it was free and it's professional grade. Like it's nuts what's in that thing. And then I paid extra money to get the studio version. So you have, I think it's called Fusion is incorporated into it, which takes some time to learn, but it's just so much more powerful than the Final Cut Pro. And it's essentially free. These are software packages that used to be worth 10 years ago 10 20 30 grand Mm -hmm. and now they're 300 like that's insane yeah and it's a big discussion now where whatever one thinks about it there's no going back Mm -hmm. but there's these programs coming out now and i just saw a quick little advertisement for it basically but it's just the pointing and clicking of making a movie it's making storyboards and it's sound stuff and it's yeah color grading and it's putting on credits and all this kind of stuff and it's dragging drop it's similar to me making this podcast where not too long ago this would be a much more difficult endeavor and now it's me who don't really know what i'm doing making it on a laptop so this thing coming out they were like okay well the good news is it's gonna help independent film and make things easier for people whether that be in advertising or movies or students, everything. The bad news is it's like 30 less jobs on an average production because if you don't need a storyboard artist, if you don't need various technicians, it's all done by yourself. So, But it's this really interesting place where it's this interesting problem to have. Imagine making a movie in the 70s where you're shooting on film and editing on film and doing your sound effects recording and all this kind of stuff. I'm sure back then people would be like, Oh man, I wish I had that. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not going back. The technology's just going to keep getting cheaper and faster and better. But it just means that we're going to have more we're going to have a masterpiece made on an iPhone that's going to win an Oscar in a couple of years. Yeah. But it's, I mean, and for your next movie too, though, I mean, oh, yeah. presumably your time will be cut in half for learned all this stuff and had all this experience. I mean, like that's that's kind of the thing, you know, it's I'm sure it was frustrating many times over that six year period. But 
It must have felt like such a load off being able to like learn these things and you're not having to find someone who can do this for you, this or that. You're like, I learned that myself and now I know what I'm... you've got more input into it. Yeah, you kind of learn like you, there's a bunch of screenwriting rules, say never do montages, try and keep it to as few locations and as few people as possible. When I was writing the camera, so I'm like, ah, whatever, we'll just figure it out. <laughs> Terrible idea. There is a reason why they have that. Like montages, you think, okay, it takes you about 10 minutes to write it, but every different location and every different shot requires a setup. It requires you picking all your gear driving over to another part of the city getting out unpacking your gear setting everything up which takes about an hour and then filming it and you're doing that to get two seconds yeah and then you gotta pack it all in go to the next shot so don't do montages <laughs> with actors we kind of did that intentionally because we wanted to try and get it down to that if you want to contribute or volunteer in the movie to be in the movie it would only be about a day. It's like, you just have to get there for one day. It gave us a lot of flexibility, but then that requires a lot more coordination. Whereas like when we do a next movie, it's going to be like two or three actors in a one location because it's just going to make it a lot easier and a lot faster. It won't take three years of post-production. Like we had with Vilma, because she was a co-lead. For me showing up, it wasn't too much because I had to show up. And that's kind of why I cast myself. I'm not a very good actor, but I show up. It's like I had no choice. Whereas with her, we filmed through half of it in about 2016, 2017. And then her and her husband moved to L.A. Oh, wow. And I was like, what am I going to do? This is a disaster. <laughs> and then she was kind enough. She came back for a month. And we filmed nights and weekends like crazy for a month to get all her shots done for the rest of the movie. And she was, I believe, six or seven months pregnant at the time. Oh, so we had, to, we had to try and hide that as best as we oh. could. But she did a great job. She really like... I got to give her a special commendation. Like if she didn't go above and beyond the call of duty, we would never have gotten that. And so I would definitely work with her again. That's great. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask, like, were you working full time still while you were also working on the film? Like, Oh yeah. So this would be evenings and weekends. Yeah. Now it was good to start because I didn't have a girlfriend. I was living in a one bedroom apartment, but during the time we were making the movie, I got a girlfriend I got married and I had a kid. <laughs> Which is all great, but also a lot more responsibility. Yeah, we actually, it was funny. My daughter was scheduled to be born in December. So I was rushing to finish the movie but before she's born. And then they had, for medical reasons, they had to move it up. I finished three days before she was born. Oh my God. Because I knew when she was born, I had no free time whatsoever. Yeah. yeah this is very inconvenient <sighs> for me, kid. Come on. Yeah. That's insane. Well, it's at least a cool, no matter what, it's a great document of your life for that period. And I mean, I imagine you must watch it now and there's stuff you see where you're like, oh God, I can't believe I did that. Or I could have done this better. Or, or I can't pronounce a certain word. Like, <laughs> uh, what was the uh, information? Information. If you watch the movie, everybody mispronounces that word. And I'm like, how did I miss that? And you're really hyping it now, though. Like, yeah. I want to see it even more now. Like, <laughs> to pick out and the composite shots and stuff. I'm like, he did that one later. Yeah, there was one shot. It was actually at the bookstore where I took out the background and I made it rain in the background. And I had that take because we had campaign signs, but they weren't made yet. So I used my campaign signs from the Mississippi campaign. So I had to replace 14 or 15 campaign signs in the shot. And I had to cut myself out. I had to cut out all the windows. I had to put rain behind them. And then I had to color grade it blue because oh. it was red. And the biggest challenge is I didn't light it properly. So I have dark hair at top and it was shadow above that. So it's like black on black. So even when things like Runway XML come out where it auto rotoscopes, it couldn't figure out the difference between my hairline and the background. So that shot took a year. Oh my God. I didn't know what I was doing. If you go on something like Corridor Crew and they could walk you through how to do that in 20 minutes. And a big part of that is shooting it correctly on location and then they can rotoscope it and make it work. But it's still, and I didn't know what I was doing, so it took a year. So that was the shot of death. I just kept working at it, working at it, working at it. And then finally it was like, okay, it doesn't look terrible. That's in the movie. <laughs> so if you're in 
Black Squirrel and pointed across the street. Does the Mayfair cameo in the movie at all? I think you can see it, yeah. She has one shot where she's walking past the Mayfair. So I think you can see the marquee. There are shots where it's filmed facing, they're talking and it's facing and you can see out the window and you can see the front door of okay. the Mayfair. Yeah, oh, cool. So for people like us, it'll be perfect because we're, we're like looking yeah, for it. But other people it. are like, I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how you can just mess with space in a film where you can cut things together and put them right beside one another and people wouldn't know the difference. Like, no, those oh, yeah. are half a city apart. Yeah, mm. that's always the funnest thing of watching the billions of Christmas movies that film here and they'll be one block and then the next and you're like that was in Orleans and that was in Nepean yeah, yeah. they're usually the same spots like Movie the, a certain spot in the market a certain spot near your place like there's a park and yeah, it's, it's yeah. like the same four locations in every Christmas movie that films here pretty much but the, <laughs> but it's in San Francisco or something like that you know? the best one they were shooting on the front lawn of City Hall and they went to the extra effort, which I was so impressed with, of putting in a fake New York skyline yeah. <laughs> over Elgin Street, essentially. So it was this weird multiverse merge of Ottawa and New York. But they're like, yeah, yeah, it's New York. It's fine. It was just like that scene of Doctor Strange where everything's folding in on itself. Same thing. <laughs> okay, so let us briefly mention the movies that are screening the week of Friday, May 5th. We have one movie held over for a second week, The Quiet Girl, which I haven't seen yet. I'm going to see on Monday. It's, and it did well enough, obviously, that it's been held over, so... Yeah, it's supposed to be great. Good. One of those movies that I had no problem finding tons of five-star reviews for, so that one's held over for a second week. We have a pair of nature films from Australia, one called River and one called Mountain, both narrated by Willem Dafoe. What? Yeah, same director did both films. Mountain is the older film, so I'm curious if Lee was like, they were like, oh, if you show River, do you want to show Mountain as well? <laughs> yeah, you can have Mountain for half price if you yeah, take River. Yeah. You're like, oh, all right. So it's it's one of those big, epic, cinematography kind of films. Like Koyaanisqatsi type of thing? I or, think so, yeah. yeah. But Mountain, I hear, is if you're afraid of heights, is terrifying. <laughs> because it has all kinds of bonkers shots of people climbing and biking and doing things they shouldn't because they're eight inches from falling to their death. And I've seen a couple just still shots and it's somebody just climbing. One of those free climbers with yeah. nothing, like nothing at all, just climbing. And so if you're afraid of heights, you might want to avoid it. Yeah, you can't do well with that. Like free solo, you know. You oh, were, free solo? <laughs> you were dying. I saw free solo and spoiler alert, knew that the guy lived because I saw him publicizing the movie and compliment to the movie, nonetheless, was sitting in the Mayfair, edge of my seat, white knuckling the arms of the chair because it was so terrifying. I didn't know these were Australian. Like I saw you yep. post the posters and I was like, it's a very intriguing poster. You're like, oh, like a river, a mountain. I'm like, but Willem Dafoe and Australia, like you sold me already. Yeah. And then we have our classic film of the week is Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Oh, classic. Which I just heard someone talking about recently. It's just one of the endless examples of Stanley Kubrick being a lunatic. Oh, it was Matthew Modine. And <laughs> yeah, he was like, right. I signed on for this movie. It seemed like a good idea at the time. It was going to be six weeks of production. And then... Two years later, we were still doing it. But it's one of those debate club things about Stanley Kubrick is he's a lunatic, but everything he made was a masterpiece. But does that mean he got to be a lunatic? <laughs> yeah, I don't, well, and plus it was like, obviously good for Modine's career, you know. I mean, you're oh, not yeah. getting gross anatomy without doing that. Like, come on. Not getting Cutthroat Island. Yeah, well, geez. <laughs> See, wouldn't that be his bigger regret doing Cutthroat Island? <laughs> I stand by Cutthroat Island. See, I've only seen it once a long time ago, and I could have just been delusional. 
but I really liked it when I saw it. I got to revisit it and see if I was just, you know, in a good mood that day. Yeah, no, and it was Rennie Harlan, I think, too, which is fine yeah. because they just announced the sequel to Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. Is he not, directing not it? Not directed by Rennie Harlan. Oh, so it's, it was a bit of a tease to throw <laughs> that in at the end. But I just thought that was so funny. I was like, we're doing a sequel to Cliffhanger in 2023? Like, sure, cool, but... I love how right. quick we got from Full Metal Jacket to Cliffhanger. <laughs> Very similar films. See, yeah. we tried to tell him going in that it would be a tangent, but we, you never know when it's going to come in. Yeah. Then our Ottawa premiere of the week is called Sick of Myself. It's a dark comedy overshadowed by her boyfriend's recent rise to fame as an artist. The character hatches a vicious plan to reclaim her rightfully deserved attention with the cultural elite. So it's kind of this like weird boyfriend girlfriend yeah. revenge like, kind of movie. It kind of sounds a bit of a jerk. Am I right? I think now? so. Like, I think our hero is a jerk in this okay. movie. Just checking. It was like her rightfully deserved. I'm like, I don't know much about this person, but she sounds not great. Sounds like one of those movies where I really like the British Office or kind of that style of comedy. But I have a couple friends who can't oh, no, watch my, it. My wife can't do it. Cringe comedy, like Curb or anything yeah. like that. She can't do it. So I think this is right in that genre. I think this is cringe comedy. Okay. All right. Okay. So I won't bring my wife then. Yeah. Basically is what you're telling <laughs> she me. She might not like it. And then our big movie of the week is One Night Only on Saturday, May 6th, is Gamera, accompanied by the VOC silent film Harmonic. So come see the giant turtle Godzilla knockoff on the big screen, accompanied by live music i'm so excited for this like yeah. i just I, I wore my godzilla shirt just for the Intribute. camera announcement yeah I, I didn't have a shirt for your movie or else you yeah. know, I, done. I was like i don't know what to wear you know it's gonna be good but like this is gonna be i mean with the live score it's always fun i don't know if you've ever come here for a live score event it's just usually it'll be like a silent film and they'll have five six musicians something like that that just play like the whole score throughout the movie that's crazy yeah, yeah. it's the best super like, fun there's at least I want to say two, three a year, maybe four. I don't know. Yeah. And what's great about the silent film harmonic is they're from not far away. I think they're from Kingston. Okay. And they don't travel far, but they'll do a show on home turf and maybe Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, a few little cities in between. And I think we have them in rotation now. We're going to have them in four times a year, three times a year. It's really a fan favorite thing. And Gamera is a bit different. It's funny because sometimes we're doing, you know, Nosferatu Mm -hmm. or Metropolis so this is the first time they've kind of delved into the kind of slightly more campy era. This is definitely the first kaiju movie that we've done. Yeah, and we did do that one that was more like, it was almost like a romantic comedy, but not re- almost like a film noir maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have been Japanese too. I'm not I'm yeah. kind of, this, yeah. they all kind of blend together. But yeah, it's so cool because the, the acoustics sound so good in there and it's like not a huge band, but it just, it fills up so quick and, and, and it almost sells out pretty much every time too, so... Yeah. yeah, it's it's a very fun event. That and Saturday morning cartoons with cereal, you know, those are like the two big stuff. And your movie, that's yes. <laughs> those, those, <laughs> those three things. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, you see, I'm like, I'm like all right, yeah. But no, like, yeah, if you can make it out to these, oh man, it's so much. I know you have a you have a kid and and very busy and whatnot, but yeah, there's usually a couple of year, and man, they are so much fun. And it's the real sense of time travel because this one's a bit different from the 60s. But when we're showing a silent film from the 20s and this cinema opened in 1932, you think this is how people used to go to movies. A big black and white movie with title cards and someone playing piano. And it's just that it is the this is what people come to the Mayfair for. No matter what, you cannot sit at home and watch Gamera with four or five people playing music along with it. Yeah, well, and it, even just with an audience, like, that alone is crazy. Like, it's just, you know, there's no comparison. Especially here, like, maybe I just I romanticize it because of how old the theater is. But being in there and just, like, looking around at the stuff and everybody's there and you're all... it's so It really is magic. That's the only way I can put it. So that's our movies. 
as per usual, I love the Mayfair because our wide swath of <laughs> offerings in any given week. So this week we have documentaries, a dark comedy, a Stanley Kubrick classic, an Oscar nominee with The Quiet Girl coming back, and Gamera. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I'm definitely going to be here for that. That's going to be very exciting, I think. Okay, so we're going to wrap things up for the week. Before we go away, Scott, did you want to plug a website or anything for out-of-towners if they want to track down your movie or see where it might be screening if it's available in the future? Yeah, you can check out my website at www.scottblurton.com. I think it's scottblurton.com slash the dash canvasser i think it is okay i should find i should just get a url that says the canvasser that'd be a lot easier but you can also check me out on the facebook page we have one and we also have a twitter account google the canvasser yeah scott blurt yeah yeah, you'll totally find it we have an imdb page it's like proud accomplishment it's you i was looking at it last night and i was like hey look it's it's a guy we're (laughs) talking to him tomorrow like oh it's looking good so thanks for listening everybody you can find information about us at mayfairtheater.ca and on twitter facebook instagram and we'll be back next week to talk about the movies coming up the week of may 12th and we'll remind you to go see scott's movie again yes absolutely Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for dropping by, Scott. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for having me. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Oh, yeah. Also, I was listening to last week's podcast, and I said that the new Cage movie, Butcher's Crossing, was out this week. Then it didn't come out, and I looked like a liar. So, you know, just sorry about that. But Renfield soon. And also, I told Scott I would mention Nick Cage in this podcast. So that's this. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera, the invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera, the invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera, the invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible.